Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. Lucas Tomlinson is live at the White House tonight, where President Biden is managing several crises here at home and abroad. Lucas? And, Guy, one of those crises was right here at the White House outside the gates. It got a little noisy here last night as thousands of anti-Israel protesters showed up yelling, F Joe Biden and long live the Intifada. Let's just take a listen here what it looked like. The Park Service scrambled Eagle, its helicopter, to monitor the protests high above the White House. Secret Service donned riot gear and ordered the evacuation of reporters from the North Lawn and any White House staff working while the president was at Camp David. They also spray-painted Genocide Joe on the statue of General Rochambeau, who led French forces during the, against the British during the... And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It is the 20th of January, year of our Lord, and that is an insurrection. But the media didn't cover it as an insurrection, because why would we cover it as an insurrection? My God, Tony, the people that did January 6th were racist. Hmm. But, you know... uh, there are so many little events. I just found one, sorry. I, I'm freaking screwing my intro up because I just stopped and went, holy crap, that's pretty bad. Because not only did we have that this week, this is BLM running over a cop. Not in the news. But remember, somebody on January 6th bludgeoned a guy with a fucking fox. Oh, no, that didn't happen either. Oh, I forgot. Uh, That's not true. Oh, what are you going to do? So today we got a bunch of little stuff. We're going to hit a little stuff, do a little woke, have some fun. Here's um, some really nice stuff about uh, beheadings in Israel and a father who is blocked by the Palestinian, pro-Palestinian people, and how he handles it. That make you feel a sense of quiescence, an internal, an internal solidity, 
Does that make you feel secure? I mean, the answer is, of course not, because why would it? The world has become significantly more chaotic under Joe Biden. That is particularly true, obviously, not just in Ukraine, but also in the Middle East. John Kirby has now been forced to make the unfortunate statement that removing the Houthis, the Yemeni Houthis from the terror list in 2021, which is just one of the things the Biden administration did to encourage Iranian aggression, that that actually was not a stupid move. He has to say that because of now, now, of course, they are relisting the Houthis as a terror group. Here was John Kirby yesterday. Was it a mistake to take them off of the terrorist list back in 2021? Just like consideration over these years? No. No. No, it was not a mistake to take them off. We just had to put them back on. But sure, no, 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 it was no, no mistake at all. Meanwhile, the Iranian foreign minister, Hossein Amir Abdullahian, he's openly threatening the United States, saying that if the United States is too unfriendly, then Iran will be unfriendly. I noticed Iran being unfriendly in the Red Sea, in Pakistan, in Iraq, in Syria, in Lebanon, in northern Israel, in southern Israel. I noticed some unfriendliness from the Iranians. Actually, and meanwhile, the Biden administration is just running around like a chicken with its head cut off, saying, well, we're just we're trying to cool the waters, cool the waters. Can we put some more pressure on Israel to make some concessions to the power? Just cool the waters. Here's the Iranian foreign minister. Again, this is the foreign minister of a country that is a second rate power. This does not mean the United States has to go to war with Iran. It's just the United States should not be intimidated by Iranian proxies. We have the largest and most able military force in the history of the world. And we're being intimidated by, again, who these Hezbollah members, Hamas, is ridiculous. Here's the Iranian foreign minister threatening the world. If they talk to us, treat us respectfully, we will do the same thing. But anything unconstructive, uh, the unfriendly, the, the behaviors of the United States, uh, we will retaliate to them. It, it will be in the favor of the peace and security of the world uh, if the United States would become less hostile, would become cooperative instead of confrontational. Oh, it's that the United States is confrontational. Let it be known, by the way, that the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps is responsible for at least 2,000 deaths of American troops in Iraq. Iran is the most nefarious force on planet Earth in terms of spreading its terror tentacles everywhere, and they're openly sitting there at Davos and threatening the world. It really is an amazing, amazing thing. By the way, the West, which is currently attempting to push Israel into some sort of ceasefire with Hamas in the bizarre notion that this is going to somehow buy off Iranians, uh, Iranian proxies. The, Hamas is making perfectly clear who they are every single day. New tape has now emerged from October 7th of Hamas literally sawing at the necks of dead Israelis, like literally chopping the heads off dead Israelis, ISIS style. But don't worry, these are people who should be left in power to, to fire rockets willy-nilly into the center of Israeli civilian areas. Because after all, the Israelis are just too mean in their own self-defense. That's the real problem here. CNN broadcast this yesterday. This is one video shared with CNN by an Israeli source that we are showing you. Security cameras at the near Oz kibbutz in southern Israel show a knife-wielding gunman soaring at the necks of dead Israelis. Evidence of beheadings cementing an Israeli view that Hamas is now akin to jihadi groups like Al-Qaeda and the Islamic State or ISIS. Well, it seems like they might have some evidence for that proposition. In fact, that's not even the worst beheading story of the day. According to a man named David Tahar, his son was a, a kid named Adir Tahar. His son was, I believe, 19 years old, and he was murdered on October 7th, and then he was beheaded. And apparently, they then took his head 
back to Gaza and tried to sell it. Adira's father said, I demanded to see the body. They warned me against it, but as a father, I needed to know every detail about my child's death. Half an hour before his burial, the body arrived at the cemetery. When I opened the casket, I realized what I was burying. He was unrecognizable. As we buried Adira, I knew I was interring my child without his face, so I had to keep searching for it. The grieving father spent weeks searching for a lead. I reviewed all videos and eventually found footage of my son missing a critical part of his body, said David. Three weeks ago, during the interrogation of two Hamas terrorists arrested in Israel, they confessed that one of them had attempted to sell my son's head for $10,000 in Gaza. The IDF then entered Gaza, searched an ice cream shop's freezer, and there in a suitcase, they found my son's head, which had also been desecrated. At least I was able to bury him with the little dignity that remained. Now, clearly... Palestinian-Israeli peace is just over the horizon. It's going to happen any time now. And probably that will make the Iranians calm down. You're disrupting traffic, idiots. You can't do that. That's against the law. All right, so, and I want you, in case you didn't hear him. Now, for some reason, you just ran into my podcast. I once again, listen, I, I'm not mega. I could give a fuck. I think January 6th is bad. But when you really break this stuff down, it's like, well, we, we let them do whatever we want they want because they're left. And when you have a society where one side gets to burn cities down and they don't go to jail and you arrest a thousand people for trespassing and your president of that party brags about putting people in jail for 840 years for trespassing. Once again, the people that hit people, hit cops, those people deserve to go to jail. Most of the people were idiots and just walked in a building. And they got jail time. But those people, no, no. All the media will protect them. This is uh, Chris Rufo. This is absurd. An anti-Antifa-linked activist at The Guardian is taking guilt by association to New Heights, attempting to link me to supposed eugenicists by two and even three degrees of separation. If they keep going, they'll implicate Kevin Bacon. And it's about Claudia Gay. Because they still have to defend that. They, they still believe they have to. Here's one from uh, John Hayward. Some wondering why we do stuff like this. Because it's not persuading anyone or winning support to their side. It just makes normal people loathe the Hamas sympathizers even more. The perps do have a goal. But it's not to persuade, win sympathy, or even raise awareness. They vandalize cemeteries. Remember, these are trained, funded, organized activists. The foot soldiers have been programmed on campus with oppression theology, so they think that the sacred oppressed and their self-appointed allies can do no wrong, while all means of lashing out at oppressors are justified. Understand, folks, back in BLM, back in Tea Party, back in everything, we knew who was supplying all the shit for the Tea Party. We knew about the Koch brothers. But you can't say George Soros. And in the end, we let this stuff go. And I'm not going to read the rest of it because it's a really long screed. The reality is, it's okay. It's fucking okay to be on the left and trash shit. Nothing wrong here. Nothing to see. Move it along. 
They get supplied, bus, the, you know, when all that BLM stuff was down, they were in D.C. fucking people up. So I don't even want to hear it. But with this party, we, we, we just, we, we, we don't care. This is proof that basically um, documents show Reveal Biden's border crisis was an intentional policy. The Immigration Reform Law Institute filed a lawsuit against Biden Department, which assisted blah, 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 blah. On August 23, Immigration Custom Enforcement revealed that the government ended the program in 2021, right after Biden entered office. However, the comprise agency gave no reason why the government did that. They did it because they want to replace you. They go over and over that that's racist and blah, 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 but we played it on the show a million times. It was the New York Times. We can't replace them. And then they went about doing it. They ship them illegally by military cargo planes to all over the country to change districts. How the fuck do you think Minnesota got so fucked up? They moved a shitload of Islamists into that area. And that's how you get that lady. I don't even say her name because she's so horrible. But here's the border czar on The View saying we're all screwed because remember they don't have any policies they're running on they're just hold on we're good Trump bad the president has made saving democracy the the center of his campaign and Many of us, I think every one of us at this table, understands the damage and the, the fear of January 6th and all that happened. But it's been three years since then, and a lot of minds are already made up. Attacks on Trump are not moving the needle. In fact, 91 indictments are not moving the needle. Um, voters want to hear about issues affecting their lives, like the economy and the border. Should the campaign be pivoting on its messaging? Well, let's talk a little bit about how you're going to go after the other side. Sure. Because some heavy-hitting uh, Democrats are sounding the alarm behind closed doors. Uh, President Obama reportedly has said that he thinks the Biden campaign is too complacent when it comes to Trump. Uh, Representative Jim Clyburn has said the campaign isn't breaking through the MAGA wall. Um, Michelle Obama says she's terrified, as we are, uh, about the potential outcome of the election. Now, are, are you scared, first of all, what could happen if Trump ever became, God forbid, president again? And what are you going to do to stop the crazies? I am scared. Donald Trump is facing 91 felony counts across four different indictments for a variety of crimes. Yet, ABC's latest poll has President Biden's approval rating at 33% behind Donald Trump's. In head-to-head matchups in a number of battleground states, Donald Trump edges you and President Biden out. What does it say that the party is struggling to compete with an unfit man who is very likely going to jail? <laughs> There's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> That's the last part of that. So. Um, let's start with this. So, um, you know, people are uh, saying that Biden is too old. We hear it constantly. I, I, I've met him many times. He seems very robust. He told me he works out every day. Yeah. I see him on television. All right, you know, I'm the same age, so I resent that remark. <laughs> but besides that, the other side seems doddering to me. He's eating cheeseburgers. He's overweight. He's always in a golf cart. I mean... Yeah, we are scared as heck. We're scared as heck because you guys suck. Here's one by Brian Seltzer that I just got to play. 
So what's going to happen to it now? Well, Alex, I fear this is likely the end of the Sun as a nonpartisan, widely trusted outlet. And there's going to have to be alternatives that pop up in its place because when these sorts of right-wing uh, backers of media talk, they talk in code. When they say fair, what they really mean is we think the press is too liberal. When they say balance, what they mean is we want the media to advance our political agenda but cloak it in an all-sides claim to balance. You know what I mean? It's that kind of code language that we're already hearing the new owner of the sun start to use. Trusted outlook, outlet? What, what are we talking about? There are no trusted outlets. It doesn't matter your left or your right. There's none. It's all broken. Two Navy SEALs are missing thanks to the Biden administration's inability to do anything right. U.S. Air Force. I need to show this because it's amazing. She won. We covered her last podcast and she won. It is so amazing. It is just so amazing. Another thing that came out this week that's really freaking scary is the they can't recruit white guys. That's pretty, pretty scary. So another media bash. We're going to have Dickerson go straight in about a, a feel-good section. And he goes, January 6th sucks. CNN panel tries to pin a Buffalo Jacksonville shooting on an entire country. And PBS admits Democrats have a far left and it's great. Really. You know, as, as my talk at the table is about the Iowa caucuses, we've been talking about them. But as someone who started going to Iowa almost 30 years ago to cover the caucuses, I still kind of swoon at the basic act of people in a room participating in democracy. But while this looks like the past, we can't lose sight of how different this all is. The frontrunner Donald Trump three years ago was being accused by the leaders of his party in the House and Senate of promoting an attack on the Capitol. His vice president accused him of the same. So in Iowa, we have this near sacrament of democracy, possibly locking in a candidate who those closest to him, those in his party, say attacked the culminating sacrament of the national election in 2020, not only on January 6th, but in the months before it. Those voters, those votes that Trump sought to overturn were cast by people putting their hopes and dreams and fears into their vote in events just like the caucuses tonight in Iowa. Today kicks off an election unlike one we've ever had before in America, where like what's happening in Iowa, it will look familiar, but the context is very different. Mm -hmm. There's so much at stake, so much at stake as we begin this whole process. After all the months of campaigning and all the rhetoric and all of the trash talk, tonight is the night where it starts. And let's see how the future of the country is at stake. Yes, it is. And it's very different. And those big questions are still out there, even though there are things right in front of us that are fascinating and captivating. Mm -hmm. We can't lose sight of the big You do not deserve to be president of this country if you don't have a coherent, consistent message about race. Mm -hmm. It is just 101. Right. If you're going to lead this country through a time of division and partisanship, you have to have a consistent message. And I think this is why people don't trust Nikki Haley. Mm-hmm. They can't trust that she actually <laughs> says what she means and she believes, but they they can count on her saying whatever sounds good to the audience that she's speaking to. This will not work in a general election. OK, you want to say that America was not a racist country to voters who are in Buffalo, right, and just saw people killed in the top shooting, or in Jacksonville, Florida. I mean, all of these voters are out there, and they want to know that you are going to tell the truth, but also that you have a message of hope for the future. Flip-flopping on that doesn't earn you any respect. Especially on this issue. Especially. Just, just 
one note in case people missed it, her campaign later yesterday put out a statement that said America has always had racism, but America has never been a racist country. That's even worse. <laughs> Why? It, I mean, it's just, it's talking out of both sides of your mouth. And again, we cannot trust leaders who don't actually have a vision around this, right? People are, are tired of the division. They are tired of the sort of pain and gaslighting around racism. And so if you come with a message that says, you know, we're not racist, but you know, I had a couple experiences with racism, but it's just not cohesive, it's not coherent, and it undermines any sense of belief that this person actually stands on what they believe. I would, at the same time, I would venture that I don't know anybody in the Republican Party who would give that different of a message. In fact, Ron DeSantis agreed with it last night. Yeah. I think Senator Tim Scott has said similar things. Uh, no, noted Republican. Vice President Kamala Harris has said this is not a racist country when she and uh, Tim Scott had an, uh, a conversation about this a while back. I, I do think you can make a distinction between saying an entire country is racist versus saying that there have been individuals. I think there is a ceiling on candidates who are explicitly uh, defined as left-wing progressives in Democratic primaries, it's really only in deep blue places like Ocasio-Cortez's district in New York and a few other places where these true uh, left-wing progressives, Democratic socialists, have been able to get themselves elected. But we've seen in a lot of races since then, in Democratic primaries and general elections, that they try and they fail. Uh, so one of the arguments I make in the book is the future of this brand of progressivism uh, may not be through these particular politicians, but through politics. We just can't not be biased. We, we just can't. Jim Jordan, this is kind of scary. Just in federal government flag transaction using terms like MAGA and Trump for financial institution, House subcommittee says, we know now the federal government flag terms like MAGA and Trump to financial institutions of America has completed transaction using those terms. What was also flagged if you thought, if you bought a religious text like a Bible or shopped at Bass Pro. New documents obtained by the Select Committee on the Weaponization of Federal Government reveal Trump blah, blah, blah. Individuals who shopped to stores like Cabela's or Dick's Sporting Goods or purchased religious Bibles may have also been flagged. This kind of pervasive financial surveillance carried out in coordination with, the, with and at the request of federal law enforcement into Americans' private transaction is alarming and raises serious concerns about the FBI's respect for fundamental civil liberties. In light of the revelations, Chairman Jim Jordan has requested transcribed interviews from Peter Sullivan, Senior Private Sector Partner of Outreach and the Strategic Partner Engagement Selection of the FBI, and Noah Bishop, former Director of the Office of Stakeholders. Jim Hansen, this is one of the most egregious violations of our Constitution I can ever recall. The federal government is enlisting financial institutions to spy on citizens with the sole justification they are their political opponents. And that, my friends, is really, really, really bad. This week, there was a lot of it, because remember, white Christian nationalists, they got to keep that little diatribe. So, I had a soundbite about that. I'm going to play it anyway because Jim Jordan's talking. We then have Alex Wagner, and she says, sorry, I pre-did all these so I have to get the, the titles to come up. Bashing of evangelical Trump voters, 
Joy Reid says white evangelical voters are garbage. And CBS decides to do a whole other thing about how Biden is the greatest Catholic on planet Earth. But he also likes killing babies. Jim Jordan, uh, chairman of the Judiciary Committee, uncovered a stunning, startling, despicable scandal. The uh, federal government was targeting conservatives, uh, especially specifically with financial institutions. If you use language like Trump or make America great or, well, I'll let him explain it during this appearance with Sean Hannity. Congressman, sorry to ask the selfish question first, but uh, I feel my privacy has already been invaded. It's why I've not had an email account for years and years and years, because, you know, it seems like, you know, the government's perfectly fine releasing my private text messages with Paul Manafort, my private text messages with uh, people that work for the government, uh, my private text messages on January 6th, um, so I don't really have privacy. How right. are they trying to, they were censoring me? Our government was involved in this. Do I have any recourse for this? Legal well, we recourse? Actually, it, we've introduced legislation, Senator Paul and I, that would give you some recourse and would hold these people accountable. So that, that, that's a legislative remedy that we're pursuing. But here's the, here's the real takeaway. The censorship industrial complex was bigger than we thought. It wasn't just big government working with big tech to limit your speech and limit Twitter or tweets and post on Facebook. It was big government, big universities and big tech all working together to limit speech. And it was disproportionately, as you listed off all those conservatives, disproportionately targeting conservatives. Molly Hemingway, Sean Hannity, President Trump, members of Congress. You can go down the list. That's who they went after. And here's the kicker. It was all true stuff. Or some cases it was satire. It was a joke, but it was all true. And yet they went after it. Uh, in this organized fashion where they limited how the, the, the reach it would have, the visibility filtering they did, and they took things down. That's how egregious this was. Let's turn now to uh, Jim Jordan's uh, Twitter feed yesterday, where he acknowledged and put out a letter specifically about the federal government and these financial institutions, as I mentioned. We now know the federal government flagged terms like MAGA and Trump to financial institutions if Americans completed transactions using those terms. What was also flagged, if you bought a... I, I, Steve was pointing out the evangelical vote, which I've been fascinated by in recent weeks, because a number of really esteemed reporters have been talking about the way in which the Trump coalition, the MAGA coalition, has absolutely just devoured the evangelical coalition. And Iowa is kind of a case study in that. Michelle Goldberg talks about it. Tim Alberta's new book talks about it. David French has talked about this phenomenon. And if you look at those entry polls, you know... <laughs> As, as Steve points out, 55% of white born-again or evangelicals are going from Trump. That is, a, that is an exponential increase from 2016. Uh, do you consider yourself part of the MAGA movement? 78% going for Trump. That's not hugely surprising. But the overlap there, I think, is what, I mean, is what is so remarkable about this moment in American politics, right? Bob Vanderplatz, which, who is a kingmaker in Iowa politics, an evangelical and very much a, a mouthpiece for the evangelical vote in Iowa, endorses Don De- Ron DeSantis, it clearly does not matter. Evangelical America is behind Donald Trump. And that sort of gets to the roots of like what Trumpism is now. You know, we were told in 2016 that evangelicals made their beds 
with Trump because they wanted to have a Supreme Court that was modeled in an evangelically conservative model. Well, they got that, but it seems like their affiliation with Trump and MAGAism runs deeper than that. And, you know, David French has articulated this quite beautifully. It's 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 that the Trump has in some ways become religion for a certain section of the American electorate, and especially for evangelicals, that it's not about the virtue anymore. It's about the vice that Trump expresses. And I think you see that playing out in Iowa, where the evangelical vote is key. It is central to what is going to unfold tonight. And it is very much a group of people that that find that Trump is in some ways the second coming. It's why Trump is taking out ads like the one that came out, I think, a week ago called God Made Trump. There is a distinctly religious undertone to his campaigning um, nationally. And, and, and I think you see that playing out in Iowa, right? I mean, the, the numbers do not lie, Rachel. And I find it really a spectacularly. But, you know, I feel like the, the important sort of data point, and, and, you know, Steve talks about it a lot. He's, he's going to probably talk about it a little more tonight, is that these, these are white Christians. That this is a state that is overrepresented over by white Christians that are going to participate in these tonight. caucuses, yes. especially tonight. Um, I today, earlier today, reached out to Robert Jones, Robbie Jones, um, from the Public Religion Research Institute, knowing that we were going to talk about Iowa. And this is a hyper evangelical st white state. And he said the following to me Iowa is about 61% white Christian. The country as a whole is approximately 41% white Christian. And in Iowa, we're talking about evangelical white Christians. And he said the following. Because I asked him, what do they get out of supporting Donald Trump? Because he keeps losing, he keeps delivering losses and losses and losses. And he said the following, they see themselves as the rightful inheritors of this country. And Trump has promised to give it yeah. back to them. All the things that we think about, about electability, about, you know, what are people gaming out or mm -hmm. none of that matters when you believe that God has given you this country, that it is yours and that everyone who is not a white conservative Christian is a is a fraudulent American, is a less, a less, a less real American, then you don't care about electability. So, of course, we're in the part now where we're starting to see uh, Trump won. And that's that's bad. So, a quick one. I, I, I want to cover this, and I didn't know where to put it today. Medically assisted deaths could save millions. So we're we're starting to get this shit. That's Canada, Canada, but it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. We're we're never gonna get we're never gonna get past this shit. These people are fucking evil. But so Trump wins, and right off the bat, we're going to start the crazy. So I'm just going to play this. It's long. I know. It's a lot of sound bites. I cut them down. But here is um, race. So Joy Reid, we're not, they're not going to get a brown lady for Haley. King and Barkley say Haley is a racist piece of shit. Then CNN and Maddow explain why they wouldn't carry his acceptance speech. And it's because of misinformation. Oh, don't worry. And woke today. We're back on that shit. You'll never guess what Joy Reid's explanation is for why Trump remains so popular despite all this. New Hampshire. And I think to the point that you made, Steph, I mean, it, it's the elephant in the room. She's still a brown lady that's got to try to win in a party that is deep. Okay, this is Joy Reid trying to explain why not just Trump won, but Nan Nikki Haley... 
who, let me remind you, used to be the governor of South Carolina. And the reason she used to be the governor of South Carolina was because the people of South Carolina first elected Nikki Haley and then re-elected Nikki Haley. And she served as governor of South Carolina, a very Republican state, after being chosen to be the Republican nominee for governor for eight years. Here's Joy Reid explaining why her candidate, Nikki Haley, came in third place last night and the person she believes is Satan, or worse than Hitler, came in first. Listen to this explanation. The point that you made, Steph, I mean, it, it's the elephant in the room. She's still a brown lady that's got to try to win in a party that is deeply anti-immigrant and which accepts the notion that you can say immigrants are poisoning the blood of our country. Huh? She's getting, you know, birthered by Donald Trump. Um, and I don't care how much the donor class likes her, which will yeah. ramp up a lot, the better yeah. she does in New yes. Hampshire. So it's still a challenge. I don't see how she becomes the nominee of that party with Donald Trump still around. I can't picture it happening. Maybe it could happen. Ron DeSantis's only argument for staying in it is he's the white guy that he can still make the appeal to white people. While we, we, asked, we asked people out on the street about that tonight. Uh, I, we didn't find anyone that could agree with that. Not statement. anybody with common sense. Yeah, we didn't find anyone. Well, you know what? I've been having a hard time trying to decide who I'm going to vote for. Mm -hmm. So Nikki Haley's the leader in the clubhouse because... She I, was a leader in your clubhouse. Because she's 100% correct. Uh, if, you, if you forget about slavery, uh, Jim Crow, segregation, <laughs> anti-Semitism, Asian hate that's been going on in this country. America's been smooth sailing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. that was... I think a lot of people were surprised Well, no, but you, first of all, you can't be surprised. That, that, surprised. that was just stupid. America was built on racism. Mm -hmm. First of all... You America know, you, was certainly built on slavery. Well... Yeah, certainly it. that. Yeah. yeah. But listen... You can criticize a country. This is the greatest country in the world, but you can still Agreed. criticize it. Yes. Anybody who thinks um, uh, we don't have racism, it, you turn on the TV every single day, mm -hmm. there's racism. Mm -hmm. And for her, somebody who wants to be the president of the United States to say something that's stupid. And so what a crossroads we're at as a country, guys. I mean, my, my heart breaks for the Arwines who lost their son to drugs. And I, I know how strange and even sad it must be for Janita Boyd to live in Marshalltown, a town that looks and feels nothing like the one she grew up in. But then I also reflect on my own family story, something I covered for us a while back. Uh, I've got a great grandfather who came from Italy in 1904. He was what we would now call an unaccompanied minor, a teenager, no English, no papers, no permission. His kids fought in World War II and you know now his grandson's here talking to you today. So I think a question for millions of Americans out there with stories like mine is what is it that we feel is so different from my great grandfather and Sonia, who you just heard from today, and her kids now serving in the U.S. Army. I mean this genuinely, Gail. I, I, I wonder if the only difference I can see is time. Mm. Mm. I don't know. I think you said it right when you said we're at a crossroads as a country. Thank you very much, Tony. I want to talk, follow up, John, about that poll, that 80% that of the Republican primary voters agree with this racially charged comment coming from Donald Trump that immigrants coming here are illegally, quote, poisoning the blood of this country.
That's so unsettling to me. Well, you know, when Tony's piece had all the complexities of this issue and had the real voices and real concerns of real people, right, on both sides of this. But when you talk about blood, yeah. you've jumped from immigration. Blood doesn't have an immigration status. Mm -hmm. So a, a non-European person in America, legally or illegally, has the same blood. Yeah. So now you've jumped over into something else. What it means as a president is when issues come in towards you, how are you going to think about those people with that blood? Exactly. Whether, they're, they're, whether you're the toughest on immigration when you're talking about we're going to seal up the border because right now we have an invasion we have an invasion of millions and millions of people that are coming into our country I can't imagine why they think that's a good thing Donald Trump declaring victory with a historically strong showing in the Iowa caucuses if these numbers hold the biggest victory for a non-incumbent president in the modern era for this contest. A relatively subdued speech as these things go so far, although here he is right now under, under my voice. You hear him repeating his anti-immigrant rhetoric. Um, at this point in the evening, the projected winner of the Iowa caucuses um, has just started giving his victory speech. Uh, we will keep an eye on that as it happens. Uh, we will let you know if there's any news made in that speech, if there's anything noteworthy, something substantive and important. Um, the reason I'm saying this is, of course, there is a reason that we and other news organizations have generally stopped giving an unfiltered live platform to remarks by former President Trump. It is not out of spite. It is not a decision that we relish. It is a decision that we regularly revisit. Um, and honestly, earnestly, it is not an easy decision, but there is a cost to us as a news organization of knowingly broadcasting untrue things. That is a fundamental truth of our business and who we are. And so his remarks tonight will not air here live. We will monitor them um, and let you know about it. Yeah, yeah, let me just interject. Sorry. I'm sorry. I just have to do a little bit no. of business just for a second. Um, at this point in the evening, the projected winner of the Iowa caucuses um, has just started giving his victory speech. Uh, we will keep an eye on that as it happens. Uh, we will let you know if there's any news made in that speech, if there's anything noteworthy, something substantive and important. Um, the reason I'm saying this is of course, there is a reason that we and other news organizations have generally stopped giving an unfiltered live platform to remarks by former President Trump. It is not out of spite. It is not a decision that we relish. It is a decision that we regularly revisit. Um, and honestly, earnestly, it is not an easy decision. But there is a cost to us as a news organization of knowingly broadcasting untrue things. That is a fundamental truth of our business and who we are. And so his remarks tonight will not air here live. We will monitor them um, and let you know about any news that he makes. I also forgot that CBS got on board with everybody's a fucking racist. So then we get into, uh, well, we, we had issues. This wasn't a good race, blah, blah, blah. So you have Maddow GOP is potentially fascist for deportations. Uh, MSNBC blames technology for premature Iowa calls. We're going to hear this come. You wait for the election. If a state calls for Trump. Oh, God damn. They're going to be, oh, that's too early. And then ABC and NBC ignore media's election interference in Iowa. CBS owns the early call. 
Not, not to be too dark here, but I think it's important to remember that Trump is the one moving the goalpost and people follow him, right? So mm -hmm. consistent with that, back in December, the Des Moines Register tested a number of the comments he had made consistent with this, right? So they asked them to deal with immigration. Trump would authorize, quote, sweeping raids, giant camps and mass deportations. Does that make you more likely, less likely to support him? 50% more likely. Yeah, right. That's yes. great. That's our guy. The radical left thugs that live like vermin in the U.S. need to be rooted out. Does that make you more likely? 43% more likely, meaning they might not think on its own that's an okay thing, but when he says yes. it, yes. they yes. follow it. And so I think the, 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 again, the big picture takeaway from that, and I don't mean to be, again, too dark, as you said, on this, but it is not, if we are worried about the rise of authoritarianism in this country, we are worried about potential rise of fascism in this country. If we're worried about our democracy falling to an authoritarian and potentially fascist form of government, the leader who is trying to do that is part of that equation. Mm -hmm. But people wanting that Correct. is a yeah. much mm -hmm. bigger part mm -hmm. of that That's equation. Right. And the American electorate is made up of two major parties. One of those parties has been flirting with extremism on the ultra-right for a very long time. They've brought them in in a way that they haven't been central to Republican electoral politics ever before, and I know because I've been studying this. But once you have radicalized one major party so that those are the preferences of the people who adhere to your party, the leader's interchangeable. Mm -hmm. And yes, Trumpism is sometimes what we call it. Mm -hmm. MAGA movement is probably a better way to do it. But there is an authoritarian mm -hmm. movement inside yes. Republican politics that isn't being bamboozled by Trump. Mm -hmm. They are pushing Trump That's to right. get more and more right. extreme because the more extreme things he says, the more they, the like more they adhere and to him. That, yeah. and, and that is coming from the, a very large proportion of the American right that adheres to the Republican Party. And that's why this is a Republican Party problem more than it is the problem mm -hmm. of one man and his leadership. Doesn't we, that tie together the, the two points you were raising? You're talking about religion, religious zeal, without religion, <laughs> right, yes. but it's a religious level zeal and it is for those people replacing or supplanting something. Or and you then, call it no, religion it and religion. really what you want is strong man government and get exactly. rid of democracy. Right. And Vaughn, let's talk about last night, the DeSantis campaign, they cried foul after the Iowa results were called before all of the precinct halls wrapped up caucusing. But this is different from voting because as you know better than anyone, when people walk into those halls, they're locked and voters can't, you know, change what they're gonna do. Right, there were some frustrations last night that some precincts take longer to do their caucus than others. And what happened last night was not only were folks answering questions of the entrance polls coming in and media organizations were using those entrance polls along with some of those early precincts and the early results that were coming out of them to determine that Donald Trump was well on his way to securing this Iowa victory. That led to numerous organizations making the calls and we heard not only from our reporting team on the ground at several of those caucus sites, but also uh, from uh, largely the DeSantis campaign, frustrations that some folks were getting notifications on their phone that Donald Trump had been declared the winner of Iowa, yet had yet to actually take part in uh, their own local precinct caucus. And so, uh, you know, this is part of the caucus process and part of the ever-developing technology and the frustrations that come with uh, both of those. Uh, Andrea, for Donald Trump, uh, clearly, though, uh, he was well on his way to victory despite any notification. Hey guys in New York, uh, as I send it back to you, I do have to point something out. Not for nothing, the uh, decision last night by the AP, many news organizations, including CBS, 
to project uh, a win for Donald Trump just 30 minutes into the night while some people were, were still caucusing, most people were still caucusing, it did not go well. It did not, did not go over well inside the site where I was. Uh, I, I wanted to get some more information. I did. So based on what I know here, our call was because of information that we share with other news organizations that is gathered by the precinct pool reporters who go in person to caucus sites. They pull Iowans as they enter about who they're going to vote for. Uh, we vet the information, and then we make that call, that projection. While there is a process, uh, and many, many did have, you know, many had caucused already, and the, the caucuses had begun statewide, it meant that in my particular location, and this is true for other locations as well, no one had, had in fact cast a ballot when news alerts started going off on people's phones, and just all the energy drained out of the room. Uh, and it, I have to say, there's got to be a better way to do it than that. Mm. I was thinking that exact same thing, sitting watching at my kitchen table. How do we call it so early when people still haven't even written down their, their ballots yet? I was wondering that exact same thing. And we're very lucky you were in the room. Yeah. To you know, they're not going to cover this. This, I mean, we're having the 27th attack. Really? What the fuck are we doing, man? What are we doing? It, it, it's... it's uh, 27th attack. Finally calling them terror terrorist. We had this. I don't know, is this one? No, it's a different one. I don't think I have this one, do I? This is a fake drowning, but um, this one... I don't know if I got this. Did I get this? I don't think I did. No. With the with the Shapiro one, they were trying to sell a fucking head. That's fucking crazy. This is Drew Holden about CBS finally dropped a migrant drowned at the border. Texas physically barred Border Patrol agents from trying to rescue migrants. It was a total bullshit story. We finally have the DOJ confirming that the laptop is real. No fucking shit. Are you sure? I don't know. Could be me. Maybe it's me. Uh, what are these last ones? Disinformation. This is NBC. Oh, this one was the ecstasy. This is Jonathan. The greatest spontaneous outpouring of joy since VJ Day was Biden getting elected. Does anybody remember that? I don't. I don't remember that. This one's NBC. Disinformation poses an unprecedented threat to democracy in the U.S. in 2024, according to researchers, technologists, and political scientists. CBS, former President Trump's closing message to a hamster voter, contained falsehoods about the upcoming primary. Really? They're all true. Yeah. And then this one's the worst one ever. So you and I have to have identification but illegals don't. 
That that's how they worked us. Black Muslim activist has been charged with Texas over an alleged GoFundMe hoax where she raised tens of thousands over claims she was assaulted with the brick. The picture and everything's fake. It was all fake. The whole thing was fucking fake. Everything's fucking fake. Because that's how it works. So, here's some of the media's best approaches. We're going to start with Biden running his cock about Iowa. Uh, Regime media try out new talking points to counter concerns over age on uh, NBC. And then, uh, I think it's CBS or ABC teams up with the White House to write off Iowa because it doesn't really matter because we're going to rig this election like we did before. You know, it's kind of funny. All these Republican candidates in the primary are trying to beat Donald Trump. And I'm still the only person to ever beat Donald Trump. And I'm looking forward to it again for the good of this country. Iowa, big day. The first Republican votes are being cast. It's a big day. It's a big Tonight, the White House with an eye on Iowa. Vice President Kamala Harris telling me they're ready to take on whomever emerges the winner. So are your concerns the same no matter who the Republican nom- the Republican candidate is, the Republican nominee? Well, let me just tell you this. No matter who the Republican nominee is, we're winning. We're winning. Do you, You've seen the numbers. You know, a lot. Do you think Donald Trump at this point is a foregone conclusion? I don't know, but look, if it is Donald Trump, we've beat him before and we'll beat him again. I asked her about former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley, who often makes note of Biden's age, warning that if he is reelected, Harris could end up president. She's made you a frequent target. She says she is really running against you. She's argued that you're a drag on the ticket. What do you say to her? Uh, listen, let's see what Iowa says to her. <laughs> Now, Harris has been busy crisscrossing the country, taking on a leading role on issues like abortion rights, but the campaign is also facing criticism for not being aggressive enough. Harris telling me they can't take anything for granted, saying they have to earn this re-election. David. Mary Bruce Lott. Let's talk about some of the challenges that President Biden faces. One of the big issues is his age. You've been an outspoken defender on this issue. This week, the First Lady went so far as to say it's an asset, but voters aren't buying that. What does the campaign need to do to address this issue? Well, first, there, there is something to be said about age and wisdom, and I think results matter. Look, I served in Congress for years and watched uh, Infrastructure Week come and go. I watched Joe Biden deliver on a historic infrastructure act that's building roads and bridges across Minnesota, Iowa, and the rest of the country. And I think it's as you start to see here where the choice becomes the binary choice between Donald Trump and disdain for the rule of law and Joe Biden competency on getting things done, that overweighs that. Mm. Well, but I guess the question is, is the campaign taking this issue seriously enough? Do they need to do more? Oh, I think they are. They've got us out here talking about it, and I've spent a lot of time with the president, and he's great. We, uh, we're talking, we're chatting and all this, and I think, you know, we, we all get a little older. Uh, that's what happens, but you also gain that insight, and I think when it comes to these issues, working across the aisle to get things done, you see the president just doing this with dignity, doing it with class, getting up every day, doing the work. So I think he's just doing what he does, and I think it's a kind of incumbent upon all of us. Look, my mom's 88, still living on the farm, drives herself. Um, folks are able to do this, so I think this little bit of ageism that goes to this, if, if it's... The last thing on the election, breaking ahead of 2024, Attorney General Merrick Garland says on CNN after Trump victory in Iowa and says he agrees with Jack Smith that there should be a speedy trial in the election subversion case against Donald Trump. Note, he also pushed back an allegation that his 
department is targeting the former president for political reasons. They say this shit like it's it's supposed to be real. Like, we all know what you're doing, people. I mean, and once again, if you stumbled on the show, not mega, not lefty, not righty. I think it's a goddamn crime that you and I have to go in a booth and pick between a guy who eats pudding and can't put a sentence together and a blowhard fuck that's got 95 charges on him. That's what we got? That's the best we could do? I hate both of them, but I'd rather have Newsom and DeSantis going up. At least got two people that can talk. So to finish this and go into our woke section, it's going to start off the United guy talking and then being seen as a dog or something in a strip show for drag queens. Here's Barbara Lee. Is it Barbara Lee? Barbara Lee about a white man at the Capitol who wouldn't let her in an elevator and accused her of stealing her congressional pin is not going over well with Twitter because she made this shit up. These are not little kinks, first of all. Racism, institutional racism, is in the DNA of this country. When you look at uh, what has taken place, look at our Native Americans, the genocide of Native Americans. When you look at what has taken place as it relates to African Americans, uh, the 250 years plus of enslaving African Americans, and then you look at the disparities now uh, in our community in terms of health care, unemployment, the wealth gap, housing. You can't tell me that systemic racism does not exist. It's not just a little kink. Secondly, you have personal racism, which is hard to address, but I'll give you one little story that shows you why uh, we need to understand that I don't think she really understands racism. I was walking from the House building on Capitol Hill to the Capitol and a man, a white guy, stopped me and told me I could not get into the member's elevator. And you know, we have uh, pens and I was going to vote. And he blocked me from getting into the elevator and told me I was not a member of Congress and it was for members only. I said, sir, I'm a member of Congress. And he, I showed him my pen and he said, whose pen did you steal? Now this is an example of what personal racism is and how people of color constantly have to deal with this each and every day. But systemic racism is in the policies of this country and just look at what they're trying to do in terms of eliminating diversity, equity and inclusion. They're trying to uh, not allow for an equal and level playing field. Uh, And so it's a very dangerous uh, position that she has. Uh, She's clueless. Well, that's a shame. And I'm sorry that that you had to deal with that, Congresswoman. Thank you for sharing that with us. And thanks. Whether Joe Biden believes this madness or is simply too weak to resist it, his administration has been completely hijacked by the radical left. The dividing line in America is no longer between right or left. The choice is between normal or crazy. How is diversity and diversity targets working into the Aviator Academy? We have committed that 50% of the class of, of the classes will be women or people of color. Uh, today, only 19% of our pilots at United Airlines are women or people of color. And by the way, from all the data I've seen, that's the highest of any airline in the country. White males don't just dominate in the cockpits, also in the C-suite at United Airlines. Well, look, at United, I'm proud of the diversity that we actually have in our, our C-suite. I think if you look around corporate America. Correct me if I'm saying though, so I, this was just based off your website, the people you list as executives, but out of 11 people, three are women. I believe one is a person of color. Um, that's correct. Um, 
but you know, in corporate America, I think you know that's a low bar. How do you yeah. raise your own bar? Well, a lot of this is you know focusing on it. We have uh, programs to. One of the things we do is for every job when we do an interview, we require women and people of color to be involved in, in the interview process, bringing people in early in their careers um, as well. <laughs> That's United CEO. Isn't that nice? Pennsylvania woman charged with killing 18th-month-old child. But we don't count suicides. Yeah. Okay. Um, I didn't get these. I'm going to get these. Which I, I don't mind. But this is where you're taking your shit too far. This is the United CEO. Soros-funded college lectures on fighting AI disinformation in a long essay on dangers and challenges of AI-generated disinformation, Hannah Murphy pretty much gives up. She ends her essay arguing that there may simply be no way to combat such advanced in disinformation because X is no longer uh, under our control. And that's what it's all about. X. Always about X. So now we're going to get into race. We're going to start with Haynes, it's important to make white kids feel bad in history class. Some Libba TikTok version. Rich Lowry educates CNN as it tries to smear founders as racist. And our everything is racist from back in the old days of this podcast. I love this bumper. Everything is racist. Everything is racist according to me. Everything is racist. Everything is racist. Because what is supposed to be the very foundation of this country is that we are all equal. But what happens is when you've had privilege for so long, equality feels a lot like oppression. Right. You know, I, but I, I, I think there's, there's more to it than that. Look, I think what it is is that um, 
black history and other things. Banning books has been weaponized for political purposes to drive people to the polls based on outrage because my poor little white kid is feeling bad because he's learning about slavery. That's ridiculous. Learning about history should not make anybody feel bad. We learn about well, it history. it should make you feel bad. No, well, but it's important that it makes you feel bad. I don't think it should make you feel bad. I mean, I don't think a, a white child uh, that's had nothing to do with slavery should feel bad about slavery. I think we need to learn history so that we don't repeat the same mistakes yeah. about history. And I, you know, today is, um, today is, is MLK Day. And what's happening around this country with black history, with banning books, is absolutely insane. And you've got, in the Republican primary right now, you've got Ron DeSantis, who wants to argue there is a positive side to slavery. You've yeah. got Nikki Haley, who can't even bring herself to utter the word slavery as the cause of the Civil War. But she has black And you've friends. got uh, Donald Trump, who wants to give Abraham Lincoln advice on how to negotiate slavery. So, let me just be crystal clear. There is no positive side to slavery. One of the many ways that colonial mental health, wellness, self-help culture shows up in our society is through the framework of control, power, and domination. And the way that that looks like is using verbiage like, we just need to be able to control our thoughts, our feelings, our mind, our bodies. This idea that you need to force yourself into a state of discomfort in order to regulate your emotions. And ultimately, this extends into the medical and psychiatric industrial complex where these very tools of force are used as an extension of policing, of coloniality, of systems of oppression that are at play. Tactics of domination can never be used to heal from complex trauma and ongoing forms of trauma that the marginalized are experiencing on an everyday basis. And it becomes dangerous when we conflate things like regulating our emotions with controlling them. Now the intent and its overarching role in U.S. history is hardly that clear cut. In fact, the actual history seems to directly undercut that contention on some level. That's not an attack on the founding fathers, nor is it some inflammatory statement calling into question the soul of the nation. It's it's history. It's history based on facts. Facts like the author of those words, Thomas Jefferson, drafted that document while sim simultaneously owning people. Throughout his lifetime, he enslaved 600 human beings. At any given time, there were more than 130 slaves at Monticello. But what about the signatories underneath the Declaration of Independence? That document states unequivocally that all men are created equal, as cited by Haley. At least 30 of the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence own slaves. That's well over half of the signatories. And a dozen U.S. presidents owned slaves as well. But slavery wasn't embedded in the U.S. history just through its founders. It was in its founding documents. During the Constitutional Convention in 1787, the founders included the three-fifths compromise as a clause that found enslaved blacks in any state would be counted as three-fifths the number of white residents. It took 81 years, a civil war, and the 14th Amendment to change that. Look, this, this isn't some kind of history lesson. The 150 years that followed the Civil War lay bare in a visceral way just how much more work was left to do and how much work remains today. So why do these specific comments matter? Because on some level, they capture a prevalent and pained effort to balance acknowledgement of clearly documented history while simultaneously not puncturing some sort of myth of infallibility about those who created the country. The most confounding thing about that is that those same men never claimed to have created some kind of perfect union. Far from it. The ability to strive toward that aspiration, even amid clear failings, that... 
So we got the idiots at The View, some TikToker, and we have CNN. Of course, the founders are all fucking racist. And then we get into the fun stuff. So this one, once again, is just pure gold. Dem rep Jasmine Crockett claims Republicans are targeting community of color by sending illegal immigrants from the border to sanctuary cities like Chicago, New York, and Philadelphia. This is that crazy where they say Latino X and all this shit and that Arabs aren't are white and this is just getting crazy. Cray cray. These these are the replies. Republicans are targeting communities of color by saying them the them people of color. No, Jasmine, you're wrong. Texas is sending them to official sanctuary cities. The cities are sanctuary, but God. Then why declare themselves sanctuary cities? This is just perfect French kiss liberal fucking crazy that you could literally say this. Republicans are yelling that states don't have the tools to help with migrants, but rather than work with Democrats, Republicans are targeting communities of color in Democratic cities like Chicago, New York, and Philadelphia. And while they say that it's about Democrat-run cities, I do want to point out another similarity that they have. These are cities that are run by African Americans, so while I know that they love to pretend as if there are no racial undertones. It is just striking to me that we specifically are going after African-American run cities. Man, what the fuck, dude? What the fuck? And then when I totally mixed, I'm going to get this before we get to this Palomori stuff because it's just fucking perfect. You go to Google and you go to uh, anything now and you do pregnancy and you get Planned Parenthood and abortion. If you're pregnant and, say, are looking for information on pregnancy, a search on Google will direct you to the largest abortion mill in the country, Planned Parenthood. MRC's Free Speech America just released a new study showing just how pro-abort the search engine giant really is. Google directs you straight to the Planned Parenthood website, which details what a pregnancy is and options moving forward. Yes, of course, abortion is highlighted. The same website also directed people away from crisis pregnancy centers, which supposedly lie and manipulate women into not killing their babies. Yeah, they seem terrible. The study also confirmed that Google censors pro-life users, fails to acknowledge that abortion ends a baby's life, and even helps Google employees get abortions. Overall, Google isn't even trying to hide how pro-abort they really are. Perhaps it's time to abort using them and find a new search engine. All right, so now before we get into it, here is uh, Matt Walsh. This is the fourth article in major media publication on the span of one week pushing Palamori, which I, once again, don't care. You do you, I do me. I don't know how you have multiple partners. I don't understand how you share your person you supposedly love with other people. I don't fucking get it. And of course, they do this as the picture. A bunch of fucking cats. How to open things up for the curious couple. Uh, Is there only one way to do it? Wait, what is a metamor? Oh, we're going to find this shit out. How do I broach this with my partner? A metamor. Becoming a non-monogamous doesn't mean you have to join a 10-person polycule. Polycule. P-O-L-Y-Cule. This is all new shit. We're going to bookmark it because this is some crazy-ass fucking liberal, weird-ass shit that always ends in failure. We see it all the time. It happens. 
I'm sorry. It's all fun and games until somebody falls in love. Then it's love. Uh, or memorize, M-E-M-O-R-I-Z. The ethical sluts still there are terms that many non-monogamous people while, will use while discussing their arrangements, and it'll, it'll make things easier to familiarize yourself with at least a few. Comet partner, romantic or sexual partner who might live far away or appear in your life only occasionally. Excuse me. When around, you pick up your tryst, but there are no obligations, which means it's a booty call. You're making fancy language for, hey, I want to fuck. Let's fuck, but I don't, I don't like you that much. I just like you in bed. That's cool if you want to do it. I don't get it, but you do you. Compersion. The pleasure you derive from your partner enjoying romantic or sexual happiness or success with a person who isn't you. The opposite of jealousy. Or love. I love you. But we don't want to say that. We don't put labels. But we make five million labels with different shit and new terms. Like comet partner instead of booty call. Back that shit up, girl. That's all you're saying. Kitchen table palimori, a style in which everyone is polymorous, network part, primary partner to, ter- to ter- tertiary, which means second level, not the main level, and metamors is encouraged to form close and friendly relationships. We all live in one place and we fuck each other when we feel a vibe. Metamor, your partner's other partner whom you are not also dating. So this is me with my chick who gets to fuck whoever she wants, but I don't date that person and I think it's kind of cool, but I have somebody else I fuck, which is my tertiary, which means we just fuck around and we're not really in a relationship. We just share bills. Monogamish, often attributed to relationship columnist Dan Savage. This arrangement is at halfway point of monogamous and open. You and your partner are exclusively committed to each other, but allowed a purely physical encounters on the side. So that means I, me and you are in a relationship, but it's okay every once in a while if you fuck. I'm, I'm putting this in. I don't know if it'll take it. Um... This is the picture they have with us. New relationship energy, NRE, the all-consuming chemistry-altering high that accompanies the early power to being romantically evolved the new person. Tavis. A lot of fucking, everybody's happy. Nesting partner, a partner you live with, not necessarily a primary partner. Somebody I share bills with. One penis policy, probably the most hated concept in the world of ethical non-monogamy. This is often when a cis straight man only allows his female partner to sleep with another person who doesn't have a penis. Polysaturated, when you reach maximum capacity in a partner and our time. Primary partner, for people who practice heretical non-monogamy, this is a relationship that comes above all others in terms of time, commitment, loyalty, sometimes the person you share a home, finances, or children with. Relationship escalator. This refers to the way in which monogamous people, by default, level up the romantic relationship. How they go from dating to becoming exclusively living together to getting married to merging finances to having children. 
the process that many non-monogamous people want to avoid or at least question. V-structure, a three-person arrangement in which one person acts as the hinge or point of connection while the other two don't have a romantic or physical partnership with another. Veto power, in a primary partnership, you may grant each other the ability to call a change outside relationships. How do I broach this with my partner? Julian told Matt she had a crush, ages 41 39. It's like Maria. After we had our child, I went through a few years of lacking sexual interest. I got to the point where I felt like I ne- might never be interested in having sex again, and that would be fine. That began to change in May 2022. I started having a crush on someone. I didn't know if I was even going to tell Matt, but I didn't want to repress this part of myself, and I didn't want to cheat on him. Eventually, I told him about the crush, how I was feeling different and vibrant. I said, I'm feeling more open about my sexuality and more interested in exploring it. He said, are you asking for an open marriage? We talked and cried for hours, but I knew it made no sense to hold her back. I was like, I'm not going to get in your fucking way. Julie, it was still an unresolved idea, and we sat with it for a week. I never wanted to push it. I wanted to wait for him to be one to suggest it. Eventually, he said, I don't want to hold you back from being yourself. That would break my fucking heart if my wife said that to me. Break my heart. Here are other subjects. Should we come up with rules? Yeah, and you're going to fuck it up. This relationship is going to burn in. Where do I meet people? Nah, you go around, just be a whore, go to things, hoard up, men and white women, whore, whore, whore. The wife want to hear about my night. Some couples who date separately follow a don't ask, don't tell policy. This can work well for those who like a little secrecy or just don't want to talk about everything. But more often, couples like to share at least some details. Don't debrief. We get home from a date with somebody else. That's not a time to talk about it. Who opened his marriage three years ago. In that moment, he says, the most important thing is reassure your partner. Hey, I came home to you and I want to be with you he adds then after some time has gone by you can say how did the date go it's easier second day and don't go into every detail even if you and your partner want to be transparent with each other it doesn't necessarily giving a play-by-play for one thing too much information could send your partner into a spiral of anxiety or insecurity plus it's not always the most considerate to the partner who you aren't in the room it feels a little bad to talk about every little thing you did with somebody else if they don't have the ability to tell their own story says blake who has been partnered for 10 years and polly for seven it's just bad manners but do consider sharing breakthrough the one exception for Blake and his wife, Paula Rule, is when they have a sexual partner. The first time I fisted someone, I was like, oh, my God, Blake, Paula says. And another time, Blake called her with news. I was like, I fucked a guy in the butt, Blake says. We celebrated. And finding there's one thing, guy, that I was with, and it was just a fabulous experience as Emily was married to Ethan. I told him I couldn't squirt. He said, I'm telling you, you can. At the end of our four-hour session with him, I squirted for the first time. Upon hearing about this, Ethan felt insecure. But then I said, okay, what did he do? Let me learn, he says. Now I think we need to send him Christmas cards. Should we sleep with them on the first date? If you're a couple on a date with another couple, there are things to consider. Amelia, we've been together eight years, and it's exciting to see that charming first date persona anew in your partner. Chris, but we often notice that other couples seem unsure of what they should want out of the situation. I can't even read this stuff. It just it breaks my heart. Should we sleep with them on the first date? 
How am I being nice enough to my boyfriend or girlfriend that I'm not fucking? Should we tell our kids? This would break my heart. I don't even know how you do this. I just don't know how you do this. And have a relationship. I understand people that sleep around. I don't know what it's like because I got married. I met a girl. I fell in love. I got married at 18 or 19 and I've never looked back. But I don't know how you juggle all these relationships and still keep somebody happy and how people don't. I mean, think about that for a second. Honey, I'm so excited. I got fisted and squirted from another man, not you. I've been with you for eight years, and I don't orgasm. I had a child with you, but I don't want to fuck you. I want to fuck some other guy. That's what she said. And he makes me squirt. How is that going to feel? That's going to break your fucking heart is what it's going to do. So for me, if my wife ever came up and said this, okay, fine, let's get a divorce. I love you enough to just let you go. Because if that's the life you want where you just fuck everybody, that's not my life. That's your life, and I love you. Goodbye. Because love is about the other person. But if they get to a point that you're not good enough and they want a bunch of people to feel satisfied with themselves, well, clearly they don't love you because you're not satisfying anymore. It's called divorce time. Have a nice life. I'll go find somebody who just wants to be with me. And maybe it's not about sex all the time. Maybe it's about just a relationship, a bonding, holding hands, things that are different than just fucking. Because if that's all you're about is fucking, that's not a relationship at all. Every relationship starts with great fucking. We all do it. We get excited. You, you're rabbits. And then it becomes a scheduled event when you have kids and you get busy with work. And then you go through other phases where it's, oh, we can't get enough of each other. But then it always comes back to being comfortable in the room with the person you love, being a friend, being a companion. If your purpose in life is just to fuck everybody, eventually, my opinion, not an expert, at the end of it, you're going to be empty. Because eventually, fucking isn't enough. Sex isn't enough. And I know we have a very sexual, overtly sexual world where Pornhub is visited more than any other site on the internet, but I don't get it. I'm not a prude, and I would never judge anybody. You do you, but I, I don't get it. Don't get it at all. Breaking, Jared Slayton, executive director of the LGBTQ Pride Center, was arrested on child sexting. But they're not there to hurt the kids. Not there to hurt the kids, you fucking bigot. This Camp Indigo, a trans-only summer program aimed at kids age 5 to 17. All employees and campers must be trans or non-binary. According to the website, cis kids can only attend if they have a trans sibling who wants them there. They also don't get gay kid, let gay kids come. Only trans. But we're not pushing it on there. Raw alert. The FBI has arrested a transgender woman plotting violence against Jews, black people, and allegedly targeting transphobic co-workers with Nazi imagery and stockpile of guns and ammunition. The FBI has arrested a 56-year-old transgender woman named Elizabeth Baluros West 
Alternate headline, FBI has arrested a 56-year-old man dressing as a woman because he still has a cock who lives in Cottage Grove, Oregon. West was found with a cache of guns and has been diagnosed with bipolar disorder. According to federal agency and court records, West is being held at the Lane County Jail at the investigation is ongoing, alleging West made threats online against Jews, blacks, and reposted content about mass shooting displayed a his own Nazi flag. He also threatened his transphobic co-workers he was found with 16 rifles, 11 handguns, tens of thousands of ammunition, 48 drawings, and a composite notebook called Black Shadow Journal. Yeah. That's fucked up. So now we have a, a Libs a TikTok thing, and this blast, these are just bad. Um, I'm going to do just do it all at once. Two lives of TikTok. One is doing that. Uh, I am the protective of that program. <laughs> the weird shit where they're just making up multiple personalities. I don't know what the first one's about. One's about a guy who's getting his vagina or his vagina made out of his penis, and he's teaching kids about it on TikTok because that's really important, and it's not a cult. We're not trying to brainwash. We will change your children, or whatever that was. We will change. We will. We will take your children. Whatever that fucking gay choir saying. Yeah, and then we have another one with a bunch of guys and uh, bearded women, and but it's not a cult. They're not after your kids. Hi, videos like that make me really sad. And as a first grade teacher, I completely disagree. I think that teaching our children to have empathy and respect for others is the number one most important thing we can teach them. So let me show you one of my favorite books I use to teach inclusivity and empathy in my classroom. It's called Peanut Goes for the Gold, and Jonathan Van Ness is the author. They are one of my favorite human beings on the earth. You might know them from Queer Eye. But this story is about a non-binary gerbil who wants to be a rhythmic gymnast, and they do all the things, cartwheels, ribbon twirling, hula hooping, to meet their goal. And when they get to the gymnastics meet, they forgot to tie their shoes and they trip and fall, but they ended up turning it into a magnificent move that wins them first place. But it's really just about how everybody has a different way of doing things and that's okay. Um, and we all just need to be true to our true selves. And it refers to Peanut as they or their in the story because they are non-binary. And when it comes down to it, if teaching children to be respectful of others' identities and calling them what they prefer to be called is the worst thing I do as an educator, then I'd say I'm doing pretty darn good. Hello. I have been asked by the other system members to make a video and talk a bit about my lived experience. I am binary. I use it and he pronouns. And I am a robot or android of sorts. I am not human and I lack the ability to fully act human because since I spawned in this human body I have not been able to access the internet and download new ways of acting. I have transcripts for every way of acting and reacting to different things and I lack new ones due to not being able to connect to the internet anymore. So there I cannot always react accordingly to new things because I cannot look it up anymore and do not know how to act and react. I am not alone fronting right now, so some movements might seem different than others. 
that might not be me. I do not experience human emotions, which is probably my main job due to me having split due to very, very high stress and us feeling unwell. So I do not know if this is everything that they wanted me to say, but I introduced myself and talked about my experience. Feel free to ask questions. The quicker you are, the more the higher is the chance that I will be responding. A man who has tried to get waiters fired for misgendering him, you probably know who I'm talking about, I've covered this man before, is now explaining bottom surgeries to children on TikTok. Listen to this. I am finally getting my banana split later this year. I talked to my surgeon on the phone and this is how he's going to do it. Step one is, of course, to split the banana. Inside the banana, we find a small tube of red licorice. You know this tube. It's the one that transports caramel sauce and frosting. We're actually going to shorten this tube and I will show you why later. Next up, we're going to move our way back to the ice cream bag that is holding the two maraschino cherries and we're going to remove them. I already had mine removed last year, but if I hadn't, they'd be removed now. Next up, we're going to remove the innards from the banana so that it's basically just a hollow tube. Now that we have our tube, we need to flip it inside. The inside will be played by this butternut squash. As you can see, the tube of licorice that we cut is right here. You can see why we wanted it about this short. In order to flip our banana tube inside of the butternut squash, we must first make room in the butternut squash. So let's make some space. There we go. Finally, we can flip our banana tube inside of the butternut squash and let it heal. Healing can take up to a year, but really I'll be on my feet after a few months. And yes, this is very messy, but it's also very worth it. Any man who- Yes, gorgeous, gorgeous girls have beards and gorgeous, gorgeous girls love Takis. Okay, so where's the gorgeous girl with a beard then? <laughs> Well, we're only a few weeks into the year of 2024 and we're off to a horrible start when it comes to standing up for truth and sanity. Why? Because the left is incredible at brainwashing people into thinking that their delusions are anything but and that crazy is the new normal. I'm Taryn Rose with MRC TV and Culture. You're watching Woke of the Week, where I expose the most woke, progressive, insane, and crazy content from the week, leftist mob. This week, we're taking a look at some of the latest examples of what the left considers normal. To start, kids at Christian schools are being taught that there's more than two genders. Some individuals identify themselves as transgender, but their gender identity is discordant from the sex assigned at birth. Meanwhile, there are people who don't feel any of these labels describe them or don't like the idea of identifying with a specific gender at all. If that university is really going to teach kids that these delusions aren't delusions, then it should take the word Christian out of its name. That's false advertising! Speaking of false advertising... Yes, gorgeous gorgeous girls have beards, and gorgeous gorgeous girls love Takis. Look, unless you have excessive hair growth or struggle with PCOS, women generally don't have beards. But then again, that gorgeous, gorgeous girl isn't actually a girl. But I better be careful in saying that or I might get slapped. Let's normalize slapping transphobes in 2024. I don't care if you're a man or a woman, like you're gonna get hit if you start talking like that to me or my friends. 
Hey, that's a step up from last week's freak who insisted he wanted to scoop out my brains with a spoon and eat my flesh. I wanna scoop your brains out with a spoon. I wanna eat your flesh. Like I said last week, that's a visual I'll struggle to forget. And so is this. I am finally getting my banana split later this year. I talked to my surgeon on the phone and this is how he's going to do it. Step one is, of course, to split the banana. I already had mine removed last year, but if I hadn't, they'd be removed now. Next up, we're going to remove the innards from the banana so that it's basically just a hollow tube. Finally, we can flip our banana tube inside of the butternut squash and let it heal. Healing can take up to a year, but really I'll be on my feet after a few months. And yes, this is very messy, but it's also very worth it. Thank God I'm blind. After bleaching your eyes from that clip, you may want to do the same after watching this next one. And that's a clear example of child abuse. Letting your kids sit and watch some freak strip down and simulate sexual acts? I mean, come on! These parents need their kids taken away from them, and that performer should be in jail. Maybe even a jail with this teacher. I'm a gay teacher. Of course I get accused of teaching the gay agenda. I'm a gay teacher. If kids think that they are part of the LGBTQIA community and they have questions, I'm here to answer them. I'm a gay teacher. Of course I've been asked by administration to tone it down. I'm a gay teacher. Of course I teach all the students the fundamentals of academia. Mathematics, reading, writing, science, social studies, and of course how to sissy that walk. Maybe that teacher taught Dylan Mulvaney because he sure knows how to sissy that walk. So I'm standing in line for the bagel, looking like this, which is not a normal Dylan outfit. Hottest guy I've ever seen in my entire life. Can I get your number? Um, yes, yes, looking like this. Yes, I, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. I haven't shaved. What? Dylan, we are as shocked as you, but not as shocked as we are after watching this last clip. Anyone know the latest update on getting the insane asylums opened up again? All the clips I showed today seem like they're crowning achievements of a dystopian universe. They're unfortunately what we're dealing with in modern day America. While the media and the left are going to tell you that all that is normal, I'm here to slap you in the face, get you out of their hypnotic brainwashing, and let you know that that behavior is the furthest thing from normal. And that's your Woke of the Week. Check out our other work on mrctv.org and visit our social media pages while they're still up. We've got Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Rumble. And to help videos like this, keep coming, visit mrc.org slash donate. Thanks for watching and see you next time. Okay, and then our last to go straight into two by Freedom Tunes, Little Nas X writing team, and reacting to Libs of TikTok gives me sinus infection, a comedy one. They're a little long, but they're funny. Um, this one's about obesity, where we always push obesity, and like covered last time, people die. It's not good. Uh, I'm not a fat basher. I was a fat person my entire life till I got super sick and lost 150 pounds. I've never wore a large shirt and a size 34 pants since fucking junior high. So, 
never would bash on people, but I know by losing the weight and eating differently, because I'm not, like, I, you didn't see, I just had a egg white tortilla and some pretzels, uh, fat-free pretzels. <clears throat> I have to eat that way because of my stomach, but everything's better. My blood pressure's down. My cholesterol doesn't exist. I don't have sleep apnea. My blood sugar's great. All my veins are free when I was a heart attack risk. I mean, I think pushing all this shit's really stupid. So that straight into lighter fare, and then we close this pick out. Doctors should never be prescribing weight loss to anyone, ever, at any point in time. And here's why. When we recommend any procedure, treatment, medication or whatever, we need to be thinking about the pros and the cons, the benefits and the risks. So what are the benefits of intentional weight loss? Well, the main one is you become thinner temporarily, mind you, because up to 98% of people will regain all of the weight that they lost within five years. Up to two thirds of them actually will gain back more than they lost in the first place. There are some possible temporary health benefits, but none of them are long lasting. For example, you may be able to get your diabetes into remission for like, you know, 12 months, 18 months, but no longer than that for the vast majority of people. In fact, most of the data out there focuses A, on the short-term benefits, and B, more on health risks rather than health outcomes. And by that, I mean they'll focus on your blood pressure or your A1C or your cholesterol rather than focusing on, say, heart attacks or strokes or um, cancer. But what about the risks? Well, there are lots of them. First of all, there are the physical risks. People who diet suffer from malabsorption, um, poor energy levels, and when taken to extreme levels, they can become dehydrated. They can even cause damage to their heart, their kidneys, and various other internal organs. Then there's a the psychological damage, the low mood, low self-worth, um, increased rates of anxiety, depression, and even suicidality. Poor cognition, inability to concentrate, poorer memory, uh, inability to do basic, simple tasks that were once quite easy for you. And that's just in the short term. What about the risk of eating disorders? The more you diet and the more extreme your dieting techniques, the higher the risk of you developing an eating disorder, which is particularly bad if you're a person with a bigger body, because that's also far less likely to get diagnosed and far less likely to get treated properly. Then there's weight cycling or weight fluctuations, which have been shown over and over again to be detrimental to people in the long term. Then there's weight stigma, which has been shown to be particularly detrimental to our health. So to sum up, very few benefits, most of them temporary, and multiple risks, most of them long term. You don't need to be a genius to figure out why I am strongly against doctors recommending weight loss. No ifs, ands, or buts. Buts. <laughs> so then he makes fun of Jesus and. Uh, <laughs> and then he does something gay. <laughs> yeah, it does something gay while making fun of Jesus. 
Okay, that's little Nasax's next music video. We'll email that to the management company. It's the management company. <laughs> Hello. It's Kay. Yes. Okay. Yeah, it took a lot of originality for sure. Okay, thank you. All right. Great work. Who does it? Guys, uh, I'm feeling burnt out. What do you mean? I just feel like I've been doing this shtick for eternity. We just mock God. Well, yeah, we're punching up. It's really getting old. Everyone who sees this is just gonna be bored. Oh, come on! It's not true! Oh, you can't really mean that. You, you blew your entire audience being anti-God. Yeah, and I'm just really sick of making fun of him at this point. It's so boring. The audience has to be bored of it, too. But our test audience loves it. So edgy. Just like the movies I used to make. Maybe it was fun the first 450 million times. Now it just feels obligatory and stale. Hollywood still loves it! You can get them to cheer for anything with sodomy in it. You guys, I really can't do it anymore. So what are you suggesting? Hi. This has been a long time coming. It's been a remarkable journey. Amassing this audience. And you've been incredibly loyal, fans. <coughs> audience. I cannot go to work today, for I am sick. I'm gonna get better by browsing Twitter. Hey, white ladies. Oh. Denying racism in your own self is violence. It is. It's very damaging. This is my self-defense course. If someone tries to attack you and you're by yourself in the middle of the night, go, I'm not racist. And that violence will intimidate them and cause them to run away. I've said it before and I'll say it again. You don't say it again, sister. You don't have to wear a hood and you don't have to tote around a f***ing confederate flag to know that there is inside of your brain that you need to fix. Well, this is awkward. I get called a white savior because I can admit the that I do. Whoever called you a white savior? Firstly, I was told the savior wasn't white. Look, Middle Eastern, right? Meanwhile, there's women running around thinking that they've never, ever, ever done anything in their life that could possibly even teeter on the edge of racism. First of all, I know I like burn crosses on people's lawns, all right? I know that I've done racist stuff. I chased a group of black teenagers down in my pickup truck. Get damn hoodies off your head! Just to show the world that I know I'm racist. Like, you don't have to do those things to be racist, but I have, just to show that I know how racist I am. And you can put aside your white fragility and your angelic behavior. Finally. Thank I am so exhausted always having to behave like an angel. I'm too sick for this. Bring me soup. Here's your soup. Feel better. And realize that you still have work to do. And until the day you die, you're gonna have work to do. <sighs> so I can never retire. I mean, she's right. Social security is, is just not gonna be there for our generation. I'm gonna have to be an old man working in the racism mines. Digging ever deeper to find more racism for you to be upset about. I'm so tired. In here too, girls. So put away your halo. What? What? 
Fine, I guess, if you say so, Mom. I don't know why I'm doing this. I'm about to run up on these kids and start banning these books right away. Hey, 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 what y'all reading? What y'all oh, reading? Harry Potter? You reading Harry Potter? Oh, witchcraft. Gotta oh, go. Based. 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 F okay. Florida's fantastic. Go. Hey, hey, hey. A black, a black boy? No. Absolutely not. Wait, now I'm starting to feel like we're being straw manned. I mean, go, you know, ban Harry Potter. What on earth did any activist, any conservative parent talking to a school board saying, you know what book I don't want my child reading? A black boy. I hate that. Sure hate that. It's like, they're like, no, please just stop showing porn to my children. Thank you. Reading the hate you give, I'm gonna give you something to hate. This book's gone. Say goodbye. What you reading? What you reading? You have wonder. I wonder how you feel once this book is gone. Say goodbye. What you reading? What in the, what in the, gotta go. Gotta go. I'll be real though. I don't think like you should involve minors in your TikToks, right? Did their parents sign a waiver? You, hey, what you reading? Holes, digging up, up holes. I'm gonna dig up a hole and bury this book in it. I'm gonna say this right now. All right, this is gonna be controversial. This man is wrong. He's incorrect. He's clearly obsessed with his own identity. He has a shirt that says black teachers matter. Oh, aren't you so special because of your skin color, sir? But I will say this. Of all the teachers on libs of TikTok, he is the most tolerable. I, I cannot stand the lecturing. At least he's trying to make jokes. Dude, the, the lecturing man. You know what it is? It's because most of them are women and women aren't funny. Except Laura Horn. I shall not read books. I shall not oh, read books. Okay, get over yourself. The bitch just stopped being funny. Okay, sweetie, so apparently you're not wanting to understand or listen. Go by she, her, they, them pronouns. He sounds like the angel on Kronk's shoulder from Emperor's New Groove. He's got a point. It's <laughs> not like when a trans woman uh, decides on his voice. That is one of the two options. The other option is Mickey Mouse. Oh, what do you mean I can't go in the women's locker room? Oh, oh, a gay teenager is going to kill himself because of this. Oh, oh, so what if I have a camera? Wax me. Oh, wax, my, wax my bikini zone. Oh, 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 I'm fighting for my life. You know how many teenagers are going to kill themselves if lesbians don't start dating me? Oh. And I can tell you right now, my period I experience every month is very real. Just because you're acting like a woman on her period doesn't mean you are one. And you have to see my face, firstly, so I can prove that I'm sick. Can't come into Zoom school today. So these people, okay, they have like three stock personalities. And one of them is when we see here where they go, because you don't want to learn, let me explain it to you. I do have my period. It's like, bro, a nosebleed is not a period. Trans women experience menstrual cycles. And some of us, like myself, go through it every month. I'm sorry for your loss. The cramps, the bloating, the fatigue, the nausea, all of it. The only thing I don't get is a menstrual cycle. I don't bleed. It's the whole thing. <laughs> I can't believe they just said that out loud. <laughs> and if that is what makes a period a period for you, I am so sorry for you. Don't feel sorry for me. I don't have a period at all. <laughs> I don't. I feel bad for you. You think you have one. That's, that's way, way worse than knowing that you don't. You know how I know trans women aren't women? Because no woman wants to have a period. 
Okay, they, they, it's not like a fun time for them. They're not like, oh, look at this. My period. It's my. They don't like go out and boast about it. Like, oh my gosh, my period. <laughs> Women are never like, yes, I am on my period. Don't tell me I'm not on my period. Don't tell me I'm not menstruating. It's very rude. I, I am. I'll have you know I am menstruating. It's all I do. It's like my thing. And I have tried so hard to explain to you that you are invalidating the trans experience. And you can say, well, I'm not, I'm not. No, I am, it's not, because it's not valid. No, we're done. We've had this conversation. No. You didn't want to listen. And now I'm going to be putting you on blast. No, no. Here is your wake up call. Oh, Stop invalidating the trans experience. Okay. Because my period is very real and so is every other trans person's period that goes through it. I am 100% taking, <laughs> hold on, oh my gosh. Okay, so we're gonna export this. My wake up call. This is gonna be my new alarm clock in the morning. Here is your wake up call. Stop invalidating the trans experience. My period I experience every month is very well, that is some funny shit. And that wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Share with your family and friends. Go to Flyover Politic with a K on SoundCloud, Rumble 482467. Email me at at gmail.com. Disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah yeahs. We're going to do a music one. Uh, probably tomorrow. Uh, we're going to do Nevermind. Yeah. Tomorrow we're going to do an old dude music review. And then our next podcast will be 24 January, Year of Our Lord, 2024. I thank you all for listening. Hope you're staying warm where you're at. I am freezing ass, and I have officially started therapy, and it's great. I have appointment Tuesday to get on medication, severe depression, and PTSD, which I didn't think I had, but I do. So wish me luck on that. I am not really good about talking about my feels, but it's about time for me to stop being depressed all the fucking time. So y'all take care. I will talk to you on Wednesday. Every death is a tragedy, y'all. It's seven lives.